Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Today we're joined by Chef Antonia Lofaso, a culinary maestro with deep California roots. Antonia is not only the creative force behind renowned LA restaurants like Scopa Italian Roots, Dama, and Black Market Liquor Bar, she's also made her mark on television with numerous appearances on Top Chef, CNBC's Restaurant Startup, and Food Network's Beachside Brawl. I'm using the blowtorch on the butternut squash to enhance the flavor by doing a little bit of caramelized sugar on it. Done. So when the judges later are like, where's the blowtorch? Antonia is here to talk about her culinary journey as well as her favorite spots around California and the city she calls home. She'll also take the California questionnaire. Chef Antonia, welcome to California Now. Oh, I'm so excited for the California questionnaire. Like, that just sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a favorite segment. So, yeah, we're excited to have you uh, partake. Okay, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> so, you know, people who watch cooking shows already know a lot about you, but we want to make sure everybody is up to speed. So let's go way back. How did you get interested in cooking? Um, so, you know, that, that's a loaded question. You know, when you, when you ask a chef, like how they got interested in cooking, it can go as far back as, you know, you know, my uh, inside of my mother's womb and sort of the DNA that follows because, um, you know, listen, cooking has been ingrained in my family's, uh, DNA for a very, very long time. Um, originally I'm actually from New York and all of my family hails from Italy and, and then obviously coming to the United States, uh, via New York. And so, um, you know, family members have owned pizzerias in Staten Island's delis in Long Island, you know, working even on sort of the, the smallest scale, you know, as line cooks at, Greek diners all throughout the, the, the tri-state area. And so I've always just had this like background of food. My family was always sort of working in food, if you will. I'm not really at the level that I do now, um, but it's really interesting as I've kind of gone back through my lineage of aunts and uncles and grandparents and even my parents. And that's actually what brought my parents to Los Angeles um, was wanting to open up a deli in Beverly Hills. And so they moved out here from uh, Long Island, New York. I was 11 years old and they opened up a deli. It was actually called Freddy's of New York Deli and Cafe in Beverly Hills. Uh, and so my brother and I at like 12 and 13 waited tables on Saturday and Sunday there and, you know, gave people, you know, giant rice balls and burgers and sandwiches. And my dad was actually the cook in the restaurant. And so, um, you know, also I, I always like to tell this story that, you know, when I first moved to Los Angeles, my parents took me to a restaurant and I fell in love with Mexican food. And for the record, mm. like, you know, they took me to El Torito. And so now obviously <laughs> through my journey through the culinary, you know, I love El Torito, but you know, there's so many other really like beautiful, genuine, like, you know, Mexican spots that really like represent the culture. But I walked, I had never seen anything like, you know, fajitas or burritos or tacos coming from Long Island. And so when I moved here, when I was 11, I remember that sweet little like corn cake and me being like, I'm going to be a chef one day. It was a very strange, hmm. like a lot of chefs will tell you, right, that their love of cooking came from like a baguette by the Seine River, you mm -hmm. know, in, in Paris. Mine is, mine is like the sweet corn tamale from like, you know, a Van Nuys and Ventura El Torito. And so. Oh my um, God, that's hilarious. It's very California. 
I'm very much Californian. I mean, <laughs> I, without question, all of my family obviously is, uh, still lives in New York. My immediate family lives in Los Angeles, but I've been here since I'm 11. And, you know, I own my home here. All of my businesses are here. My daughter was born and raised here. And so I definitely, you know, obviously have my New York roots, but I am a California girl like through and through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That job awaiting tables at the deli, was that your first job in a restaurant or were there any any before that? Yeah, that was actually my, well, that was my first job ever. And I mean, for the record, you know, that was probably like highly illegal, you know, at the time. <laughs> you know, this was like, I was 11. So this was like the 80s. And, you know, it, it, it was like, there were no work permits then. My parents were just like, you know, super old school. And they were like, here's an apron, go take the order from that table. And so... That was my first experience uh, in any kind of work environment. And we, I remember we were allowed, obviously we kept the tips. And so, you know, I'd, I'd make like $30 until like, you know, 30 bucks to like, you know, a 12 year old was a lot of money. Yeah. And so I would go to like the local pharmacy in Beverly Hills and I'd buy like Lee press on nails and I would be so excited. <laughs> You know, I would tell my parents that I wanted to like treat them to the movies that weekend because I had my own money and my brother would buy like the Twizzlers. So it was like this whole little like, this whole little thing that we did. Yeah. I mean, it was probably like an amazing lesson for you to be like, hey, you can do something you enjoy doing and earn money at it and kind of be able to go to the movies and buy Twizzlers and things like that. You know, it was really interesting. When I look back at it now, I realize actually how important it is and what a life skill it is to one, have a job when you're young, without question. Um, there's like, there is, there's like an independence to it where you start to realize like, oh my goodness, when I do this thing called work, right? It gives me this sense of completion and confidence. And then all of a sudden I'm paid for it. So then I'm like, whoa, I got, I got cash. Um, but the other thing too, and my father, you know, has always said this because he came, you know, he came from a family of, um, his father owned a fruit store in Long Island. And so, um, customer service in hospitality is a, I think a building block, uh, in, in, uh, with people in general. And I, I say this all the time, like young people should work in hospitality somewhere, whether you're a hostess, whether you're a server, whether you're a runner, whether you're, you know, uh, you know, working in at an, you know, a Chipotle, mm -hmm. you know, ringing in orders or, you know, a fast order cook, whatever it is, because when you learn to deal with the general public, right. And organization and problem solving and communication at a very young age, I think it sets you up uh, with skills that transfer to so many different outlets as you get older. Right, right. And social skills, too, just like in this Internet age where everybody's just like typing on their phones and not looking at each other. Oh, 100%. It's so interesting because my dad would say the same thing. My dad would be like, you know, when I was young, my father would teach me how to engage with customers, you know, and ask questions and ask them, you know, remember their name and family members so that they felt comfortable coming back to our store and spending money. And you're 100% right. And so my father would always have these you know, these scenarios where, you know, he'd be like, oh, that's your friend. What do their parents do for a living? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, how are you not communicating <laughs> with adults? You know what I mean? Like this right, idea, right. exactly what you're saying, like communicating, right? Like telling people about your life and then receiving information about their life. And that's called connection, you know? And so uh, it's a very, it, that, that skill I think is really developed and learned at a very young age. And I think the hospitality industry supports that. 
Um, and, and so I got that at a very young age working with my parents. And so I always moved into all food things. So when I became 16 and, um, you know, my parents were like, Hey, we got you this like 1987 Nissan Sentra. And if you want to drive it, you got to be able to pay the insurance and put gas in it. And so I went and got a job at hot dog on a stick <laughs> at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. And I don't know if you remember the Sherman Oaks Galleria, but it was in that movie. Um, uh, was it fast times at Ridgemont high? Okay. Yeah. All the kids worked in that old school, like the, right, you know, the food one of my court. friends worked at the food court. Exactly. One of my friends worked at Mrs. Fields. Another one of my friends worked at the gap. Uh, one of the other friends worked at dairy queen and I worked at hot dog and a stick where I like slung corn dogs and cheese sticks <laughs> and, and, and stomped lemonade. And so, um, I, you know, I moved into that and then from there, I, you know, again, I was like, I love this idea of, of working in food and working in hospitality. Then I went and worked at Chin Chin, which is even more funny, like, because uh, these places are still around, which is like even more amazing. So like every once in a while, I'm like craving a Chinese chicken salad and I will 100% pop into a Chin Chin. Um, <laughs> hey, do you still have the hat for from Hot Dog on a Stick? Oh, but I have the sweatshirt. I'm so mad that I you had to turn your uniform in. You had to turn oh. your uniform in when you no longer work there, but I have the sweatshirt still. Oh, that's um, so funny. And, and a lot of really good pictures. And that's kind of, you know, right, with like Reeboks and scrunchy socks and like the shorts and the tank top and the whole thing. <laughs> with with your nameplate, like you had your nameplate on the top of your very tall hat. It was so uh -huh. funny. <laughs> that's so great. Well, you have come um, a long way from hot dog on a stick. I mean, um, You've apprenticed under some, you know, some amazing culinary legends, Wolfgang Puck for one. Um, have any of your mentors taught you valuable lessons that have stayed with you over the years? Um, Wolfgang Puck definitely, you know, was a huge mentor who taught me how to make an omelet. Still calls me Antonietta, like to this day. Um, he's very, very sweet, very, very supportive. Um, there are other chef there, though, who I consider my chef mentor is Lee Hefter, who's no longer with Spago um, or with the Wolfgang Puck Corporation. He's on his own now, but he was with them for, you know, 20 plus years. And there was a moment once in our kitchen where, um, you know, I was kind of cutting a corner in a in a in the pizza station. And when I say cutting corners, I was using Fontina cheese instead of this mixture of Fontina and mozzarella because I got in my head and I was busy and I mm. didn't call for help. And it was just this think the struggle that a line cook has early on in their career where they just are like, they feel stupid because their station isn't set up and they don't know how to get out of it. And they start to cut corners. And I did that. And he came over and he was so angry with me. And, you know, basically I had sous chefs kind of come up, fix my station. And I was trying not to cry. And it was like this whole thing. And um, later on in that day, he pulled me aside and he said, do you want to be mediocre or do you want to be great? And I was like, you know, just being quiet and listening. And, I, and he goes, because I don't think that you leave, you know, your daughter who's very young to come to work every day and work overtime and come back to learn how to clean foie gras at midnight and do all of this extra stuff to be mediocre. He's like, I actually think that you're great. And he goes, but the difference between mediocrity and greatness is never compromising the food ever. And... I was, you know, I was just like sitting there, like, you know, my, trying not to cry right mm. in front of this like incredible man who was giving wow. me this like long lesson. And, you know, and then he just like walked away from me. And of course, like I went home and I was like hysterically crying and I was telling 
my daughter's father at the time. I was like, there was this pizza and he was just like, what is wrong? And I was like, oh, you don't, you don't understand. You know, he's like, it's just a pizza. I was like, it's not about the pizza. You know? so it, was, it was about this like life lesson. Yeah. About mediocrity, oh, about mediocrity and corner cutting. Yeah. And so uh, I still remember that pizza to this day. Oh my God. I mean, you know, he, he could have just not even spoken to you after that, but he actually took the time. He saw something in you that was worth taking the time, sitting you down and, you know, asking you to take a look at uh, your priority kind of thing. You know, and that's actually what I've learned about great leaders. And, you know, I, and him and I actually still keep in touch. He retired, you know, a couple of years ago from Wolfgang Puck. And, you know, we still WhatsApp each other every once in a while. And he says the sweetest things to me about how proud he is of me. And, you know, it's still to hear my chef say that about me because I know what I think of him and I've seen the teams that he's built and, the, the, you know, and, and when I say teams, it's like not just one restaurant, it's multiple restaurants all over the world. Um, and in order to have that kind of leadership requires the sensitivity and it also requires, um, you know, very strong directness and communication and, and he would do things like that. And, you know, again, like you're saying, he, I don't know if he saw something in me, but I think as a leader, he knew his job was to say something to me. And if I took it and ran with it, that's what he hoped for, you know, and if someone else took it and stomped on it, you know, then he would just move on. But I don't think it would ever change his, you know, ability to throw out these beautiful bubbles of, of wisdom that either lived by for the rest of their life or they ignored. And that was, you know, bad on them. But, um, he is, you know, quite the exceptional man who, uh, has really, done amazing things in his career and sort of getting the kudos from him telling me that he's proud of what I've done in Los Angeles uh, mm. has probably been the, the greatest compliment I've ever received. Yeah, that's that's really special. And, uh, you know, that, that you were able to kind of uh, evolve and develop under his tutelage is, is just, uh, you know, such a, a blessing. And all these years later, now you're doing all these amazing things. And, um, I was wondering if you could kind of tell us what are some of the trademarks of a true Antonia Lofasa dish? So that, that, that's actually a really, that's a loaded question, right? So the, that, that's the, the biggest thing that chefs struggle with, right? We learn from great mentors and we learn how to regurgitate dishes. We learn technique, we learn searing, braising, roasting, sauteing, building dishes, replicating dishes night after night. And then all of a sudden we go out on our own. Right. And then we're asked to develop concepts and 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 or someone or an investor will say, what do you want to do? What's your like, what's your voice? And you're like, gulp, you know, you're like, wait, what <laughs> did you just ask me? Like, right. I have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, you know, anyone who eats my food, I'm not reinventing anything. Right. You know, you go to Scopa, there's fried calamari, there's a rice ball, there's meatballs. Um, you know, you go to black market, there's a smoked trout toast, there's, you know, you know, an, you know, a, a nudie with brown butter. Uh, same thing with Dama, you go oxtail tostada. These are all things people have seen before. Um, what makes it mine, right, is I think the mixture of how I do things and the way that I plate and the, the building of the menu and sort of the ambience that you're coming, right, and eating in, right? Every one of the restaurants that I've helped create is a very like specific ideal, right? That they're coming, they're here, there to have a good time. We want people to, you know, propose to their loved ones, 
to have their babies, uh, baptism parties afterwards Mm -hmm. to, you know, celebrate anniversaries, birthdays, in some cases, divorces. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) we'll stay out of that one. But you know, it's, it's like a place of celebration where we are not the focal point of see how cool I can make this dish, mm-hmm. but more so like, let me create the space for you to come and enjoy all of your favorite spirits and cocktails and wine, all of the food that you love that reminds you of home or your vacation or something a neighbor made, you know, with with staff that cares about your your experience from start to finish you know, with, um, you know, a room that's got great music and you just feel like you had the greatest party that I threw the party that you got to enjoy. And that's, that's what I think I do, you know, it's it's the entirety of the experience. And so it took me a really long time because I came from fine dining. And so in fine dining, there's very specific dishes and there's traditions and, So when I built a restaurant, I was like, wow, I'm actually just going to make spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm totally going to be fine with that because Mm. I'm going to make the best spaghetti and meatballs that you've ever made. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the argument of spaghetti and meatballs where someone would be like, wow, there should be veal and pork and beef and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, or my grandmother just put like chopped Italian parsley, garlic and locatelli cheese, which is you know, a great pecorino that, you know, if you live in Staten Island or Long Island, you know, Locatelli cheese, it's whatever, it's what every Italian deli smells like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it took me a long time to be like, you know what, my grandma's meatballs are like way better than your veal pork. (laughs) And so, you know, and to have the confidence of being like, I'm going to do this fried cauliflower that my grandmother did, or this rice ball, the way my mom used to make it, or this eggplant dish. So, and, and really take it back to the traditions of the way that I ate growing up. Or, you know, at Dama, where I do Latin inspired food and where I've been to Spain, you know, and like Spanish, like Latin style food, where I've been, you know, all over Mexico and South America and being like, oh, I ate this thing and this is how I would make it, you know, and, and just giving someone something really good that they're like, you know what, that was really good. And I just want to eat it over and over again, whether it's Mm. a Monday night or Friday night. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Having the confidence in doing that, because for a very long time, I thought I wasn't doing enough. For a very long time, I would be like, oh, this isn't fancy enough or this isn't, you know, I have this pedigree and I don't do like uni ice cream or foie gras three ways. And it took me a really long time to be like, you know what? I actually don't like foie gras, so I'm not going to cook it. And so, you know, which is a very strange thing for a chef to say, you know, and, you know, or that I eat my burgers well done, you know, like, I'll, you know, or someone's just like, oh my God, like, who are you? And I'm like, I, this is what I like and this is how I cook. And if you don't like it, you don't need to like hang out with me. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about uh, a little deeper about, about your restaurants. And uh, so you mentioned kind of Scopa Italian roots that's in Venice. And uh, it sounds like that's really where a lot of your family inspiration kind of informs the menu and the experience. Absolutely. So Scopa is American Italian. It's a celebration of the American Italian. And, you know, when when you say American Italian, there's a lot of great Italian restaurants in Los Angeles. You know, you look at like Angelina's Osteria, you look at like what Nancy Silverton does, you know, at Moza, you know, or the Osteria or even Kispaka or what Evan Funky does at Mother Wolf or Funke or Felix in uh, Venice. Those are all very specific regional Italian cooking and it's delicious and I love it. What I do is like penne alla vodka. Like there's no penne alla vodka in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. There's no chicken parm in Italy, Mm -hmm. right? So this is like 
my ancestors came over, they settled all over the East Coast and, you know, all these different dishes just kind of, you know, came around along with like, you know, different names, right? Like pasta fagiole, right? Pasta and beans mm-hmm. is an actual dish, but like pasta fazul is what we call it. <laughs> you know, like the American Italian just somehow butchers the name. Right, right. And like so, gabagool. Gabagool. Like, you know, like if you ask someone what gabagool is, my dad will tell you, oh, that's what it is. I was like, no, that it's actually like Capicola, which is not even the same word. It doesn't have the same <laughs> right. And so um, that's what we celebrate at Scopa, right? And so uh, it, that one actually was the hardest restaurant for me to build because it was so personal, right? It was so, and especially like American Italian food. And my business partners are also American Italian. They're like, well, that's not how my family makes mm-hmm. a rice ball. And I'm Uh-oh. like, yeah. listen, we can argue this all day long, <laughs> but like I'm the chef. So we're going to do the rice ball the way like my family <laughs> do the rice ball. You know, we're going to do the eggplant parm the way like I make the eggplant parm because we could argue about this all day long. Um, so, and that was, it was definitely the most fun to build, but also again, the most personal. So it was like a little scary, you know, I'm like, God, if I, if I fail at doing American Italian food, like yeah. how interesting is that? <laughs> and when I opened black market in 2011, you know, I was like, okay, if I fail at making, you know, elote, or if I fail at making like, you know, a, I, I do this like really beautiful, like hamachi, um, dish with like tempura broccolini and like a shiso vinaigrette. And I'm playing with a lot of like Asian ingredients or I do Korean chicken wings with a kimchi cucumber or I'm playing with like Korean ingredients, you know, and then I go into like nudie, you know, doing these like little ricotta dumplings, but then using brown butter and hazelnuts. So it's like, I feel it that it's like not really what I grew up doing and I'm, and I'm being a little bit more experimental and playful. Right, right, right. But if I fail at making like ricotta, like that's like my, you know, my ancestors from a hundred <laughs> years ago are going to like, you know, curse me or something. <laughs> so, so give me the inside scoop. Like what should I order on my first visit to Scopa? So Scopa, when you come in there, like the ricotta crassini is just what we do, right? It's, and this, this was actually the dish that I showed my business partners when they said, Hey, when you, we, you want to open up American Italian, what does this look like? Right. And so I, I would, I would talk to them through food, right? So the ricotta crassini is a house made ricotta. I, you know, I make the cheese, we whip it with a little bit of mascarpone, which is a, you know, a sweet Italian uh, cow's milk cheese, a scratch of nutmeg. And it's, it almost is plated like a hummus, right? So it's like soft, it's room temperature. Inside the center is like flowing, um, you know, uh, Italian olive oil, mm. a little bit of chili flake, a pinch of rosemary, some Malden sea salt, mm. some chopped parsley. And then it comes with like highly aggressive ciabatta bread. So, <laughs> you know, ciabatta bread has holes in it. So it, it uh, highly aggressive as in like there's dark pieces on it. That's what I love. And it's the original garlic bread, right? It's fatunta, which is aggressively toasted bread, raw garlic kind of brushed over the top, more olive oil than uh, every time I show someone how to make the dish, they're like, chef, that's so much olive oil. I was like, <laughs> I'm Italian. We put olive oil in my hair, body <laughs> lotion, like, right. like make this, make this bread a sponge. And, <laughs> you know, and then that bread gets served with the ricotta and you dip it in. And, you know, people are like, this is the dish that everyone should have on their table, whether you're there for like a business meeting, whether you're there on a date, you know, we have a joke about non-committal calamari because this, mm. the menu uh, the menu has so many different things on it, right? You can come in and have a couple things to share with like, you know, a glass of Prosecco at the bar, you know, or like a Negroni, or you could sit down and have like a huge T-bone steak, you know, with a bowl of polenta. And so mm. there's so many different like options for it. But, 
you know, we've got calamari that I actually uh, fry in its own squid ink. So it's like squid on squid. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's black, extra salty, super oceany. Uh, those are like two must. And then the rice ball. Like I've been making these rice balls since I was like out of the womb. My mom would make us make them for the entire month of December. And it was like we were supposed to make enough rice balls that sat in Tupperware containers that would get us all the way from <laughs> we got out of school for Christmas, like back wow. to the week we came back for Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> just make sure we have enough rice balls that are like there for Christmas Eve, but then also that we have to eat all the two weeks we had a vacation, you know? And so it was a, so we make those people love them. I had a fryer go out once at Scopa and I couldn't make the rice ball because it has to be fried at a lower temperature. And I literally heard someone scream from the bar. And I ran out there because I thought something had happened. Right. Like, like do you need my assistance? Uh, and he's like, you don't have any rice balls? I was like, sir, I'm going to need you to calm down. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> it was a very like, you know, it's very, but I also, I was like, I get it. Like, and I appreciate your support and your enthusiasm for this food that you're right. that disappointed, you know? Oh my God. That's amazing. He obviously like, you know, came for the rice balls and he was so upset that, that they weren't there that night. Oh, oh 100%. 100%. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. But we do everything from like a classic Italian chopped salad to like, you know, shaved raw Brussels sprouts with almonds and pecorino. So it like flips flops from something that's very like California present, right? Mm. I, a lot of what I do has like, I grew up in Wolfgang Puck's kitchen. He's mm -hmm. like the master of California cuisine, right? Like this idea of like, the, you know, the, the most perfectly put together tomato salad, right? It, like you think of what, you know, Alice Waters has done and, you know, all those amazing chefs up in San Francisco, you know, by taking the simplest of ingredients and just treating them well, right? I think that's what California has done so well. And so being able to have that background and have that influence all of the restaurants, right? You know, whether it's as simple as Black Market, which is like, you know, just this eclectic kind of small plate bar, to Scopa Italian Roots, which is, you know, classic East Coast American Italian. But if you're in there, you're like, oh, I can see Antonia's like California roots. And then the same thing with Dama. Like I was very scared opening Dama, doing something that had such like a strong sort of like Mexican background because I grew up in LA. And so for me, it was like, dude, I ate Mexican food more than I ate Italian food. You know, if I, if I went away for a long period of time, I came home, I was like, all I want is Mexican food. To me, that was like my second family. That was mm -hmm. like my second you know, love of, of food. And so opening up Dama was really scary. Like that was actually very, very scary. And, um, I was like, I just, I, I hope people like it, but it's the same thing. Like, you know, using all of these like beautiful, like California techniques and produce to really influence, you know, dishes that we all know and love about, you know, specific areas, you know, all through Latin America and Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's move on. Let's move on to your other restaurants. Let's talk about Dama a little bit. Your executive chef uh, behind that restaurant in downtown LA's Fashion District. Um, can you tell us where you got the idea for that concept? So the concept actually came because my business partners were actually just going to open up a like lounge there. Like that was actually supposed to just be this sort of like large outdoor, very much like this, um, like what you would see in South America, like these the big restaurants that met in a piazza, right? So there was the Italian one, Rosso Blue, that's there. There's an empty space that was going to supposed to be taken over by um, uh, an Asian concept. And then ours, we were doing this very much this, you know, like, um, you know, the Petita de Banana, the uh, Pina Colada, like blended cocktails, very sort of like, again, outdoor, South American, North America, as in like Mexico, Spanish, Portuguese, like when you look at all of those outdoor um, 
spaces where you could sit and have like a blended cocktail or like a, you know, a classic daiquiri. Mm -hmm. That's what the space was, you know, was supposed to evoke. And at the time we're like, oh, maybe we'll just do some small bites. And then really it was about our license, you know, and them being like, you know what, we actually need to make this into a restaurant and, you know, and really kind of go for it. Um, and so we did. And I actually wanted to do the Dama concept before the scope of concept. So that was actually my, my intention um, was to do that concept before we opened Scopa. But uh, where we were in Venice, Scopa just fit better. It was like one of those things where like, no, this, this, this venue is definitely more of a Scopa. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I was very specific about, you know, this, these weren't, you know, um, traditional dishes, right? I was, I was really playing in like another culture sandbox that I love and appreciate oh so much, but was really paying attention to the fact like, this isn't how, you know, this isn't the stuff that like I do naturally, right? This is just stuff that I am like obsessed with uh, (laughs) on so many levels. And so it was really about like taking all of the flavors that I love from all of these different countries and turning them into something, you know, we do a dish on that menu, um, which is basically like a whole snapper, but it's from two different countries that I really have enjoyed visiting, right? So my daughter is half Jamaican. And so when I was in Jamaica, we had these like incredible whole fish escabeche, right? And so this pickling, this highly vinegared uh, celery and carrot and onion that went on top of this fried fish. And then also when I was in Mexico City, I ate at a restaurant called Contramar. And then the first time I ever had an al pastor fish, I was like, oh my Hmm. God, I've had al pastor all the time on a spit with pork, you know, but I've never had it with fish. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So the fish that we do at Dama was basically like the molding of those two very um, specific trips that I had where I was like, it's a whole snapper that I al pastor the entire belly. Hmm. I fry the fish head. So like I kind of put the fish back together, if Mm -hmm. you will. So that, you know, it's kind of open face, the flesh, you know, it's skin side down, the flesh is open, you can see the al pastor rubbed on the flesh. And then it's farmer's market, you know, multicolored carrots that have been shaved into just tiny circles, shaved green onion, um, fine, fine, fine shaving of celery. And it's, it's that idea of that dish that I ate in Jamaica, where I was literally on a beach in uh, King uh, Kingston. And there was a woman that drove her boat up onto the sand. She like cleaned and scaled a fish, dropped it in the deep fryer. And I ate it with so much pickled onion and carrot with like a scotch bonnet vinegar. And I was like in heaven. Wow. Um, that sounds amazing. And instead of it being served with festival, which is like this fried bread in Jamaica, I serve it with tortillas, you know, and then I have like a hot Brazilian uh, aioli that I serve with it and a couple of different like salsas. So it's kind of like this mixture of all of these worlds that I've lived in, right? Like these Mexican salsas, these hot Brazilian vinegar that I love because my business partner's wife, Carolina, is Brazilian and she introduced me to this incredible vinegar. And I was like, oh my God, all I want to do is puree this and stick some mayonnaise in it, you know, and then, and then slather it on everything. And so it just is kind of like this mold of all of these uh, places that I've been that I'm like, oh, this is the dish that I want to make. Or the same thing with like this whole fried pork shank, right? Where it's like, I love carnitas more than anything, right? Instead of taking like the pork butter, the pork shoulder and braising it. And I, I braise it the same way that I would like a piece of shoulder, but they're the shank. And so I keep them tied together and, and they're braised in like Coca-Cola, um, you know, and chilies. And I use uh, pork lard and I also use duck fat. So again, mm. like a conf- essentially carnitas is like a confit, right? But with a great Mexican Coke involved. Mm-hmm. And so 
And then I keep them whole and I deep fry them whole so that basically it's like pork that's still on the bone that falls off, but it eats like a carnita. Mm. And so, you know, and then I just serve it with like pickles and lime and, uh, you know, avocado and, you know, a little bit of crema. And, and so I build it, I just build it the way I'd want to eat it. Like if I was eating like carnitas, I'd want tortilla, I'd want crema, I'd want cheese, I'd want avocado, I want some pickles and I want to just make tortillas, you know, I just want to make tacos with it. It's like you're rating the fridge and you're just putting it together, but it comes 100%. out like amazing, I'm right? Make, yeah, I'm rating the fridge and then like, <laughs> this is how I would eat it. But then all of a sudden, I, I also in my brain, I'm like, okay, but I want to make this an, an opportunity where people can come and get dressed up and have right, a date, you know, right. drink a pina colada. And so, but, you know, it's like being like, no, at the end of the day, you feel like you're eating carnitas, like mm. tacos. But at the same time, you're just like, but I want to like wear heels and like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, take my girlfriend out. Right. No, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Oh, my God. So, you know, on top of your restaurants, um, you've also appeared on a variety of culinary shows, including Top Chef. Did those experiences change you or, or take your cooking to a new level? Oh, 100%. Those culinary competitions still to this day, like I'm getting ready to go shoot Tournament of Champions, I think five. I think we're in season five right now. Mm. Um, and I am like beside myself. I mean, for the record, I've got also a lot of PTSD. Let's just go there. Okay. <laughs> and I also have like a lot of glutton for punishment. Like there's like an adrenaline that happens when you uh -huh. do all these things. So, the like, drama is real. The, the drama is real. The adrenaline is real. You know, when you're successful under those kinds of conditions, it, it really builds confidence, right? And you know, I've been doing it for so long. So it's this idea of, of working under duress, which a hundred percent is like, you know, the restaurants, sometimes you're working under duress. Oh and yeah. So those kitchens can it, be like quite uh, intense. Very, very yeah. intense, very yeah. intense. And so it is that thing where you, uh, it, it, it builds character in that way, right? Like, you know, when you fail at something, the learning experience from it, which is sometimes even greater than when you're successful at it. Um, I love every culinary competition I've ever done. It's been, it's been a wild ride. Never in a million years did I think my life was going to be this. You know, I, I started working for Wolfgang Puck, I think in 2001 and, you know, Top Chef, I did Top Chef the first season in like 2007. And, you know, we used to like hide in the walk-in and talk about Top Chef because, you know, back in the day, you, if you were like a real chef, you didn't go on those shows. Like, oh God, yeah. You know, it, it was, it was very, very, very like, turn your nose up at it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't go on, you don't go on television and, and, and play those games. Right. 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 And so I did top chef season four and that was like, I was, I mean, that was like the, the I mean, think about that. What are they like season 23 right now? Mm -hmm, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. It's crazy. And so, you know, it was, I, I can't still even explain or put my thumb on how much that's changed it's more changed my character in the way that like it really shows you that when you're squeezed and like backed into a corner, how you behave. And I think that's the biggest part of like leadership and team building, right? Is that we're always going to be squeezed. We're always going to be backed into a corner. We're always going to felt like, you know, like, like, you know, pressed and stressed out and how, if you behave, if you learn how to behave in those situations with grace and dignity and, composure, it really sends you to a different level. And I think that's been the biggest thing that's, you know, I've learned on these culinary competitions. Right, right. And, and the people that you go through those experiences with, you often find yourself like creating these strong bonds with each other, you know, like, are there any 
kind of bonds between you and your other cooking show colleagues? Any friendships oh, or? Without question. Like yeah. Stephanie and I, Izard and I did Top Chef season four together, which was in 2007. Now we compete on Tournament of Champions together. And her and I are both like, oh my God, do you remember? And so, <laughs> you know, we, and, and honestly, any Top Chefer, whether you were in their season or not, we all went through the same experience, right? Where we were in, 15 pass vans without cell phones and our ability to talk to our loved ones and didn't have our ID. And we're basically like, I always like to say we were held captive. Um, and, and when you go through that scenario and you're so immersed in the experience and any other person that you walk by, it's like, you can like kind of from, you can give them a little side eye. It's like, yeah, I, I did that too. Right. Remember when I did that? And like, yeah, we remember. And so we, I mean, we all have the same experience. And so uh, you, you meet any top chef on the street. That's like our, that's our one shared, uh, you know, situation where we don't even need to say anything else. You're just like, you're suddenly <laughs> lifelong friends. So. Right. That, right. That's amazing. Uh, should we expect to see more of you on the small screen? Um, I have been doing a ton of stuff on food network. So I am a, I am a food network, you know, chef. That's, that's, that's what I call home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we have beachside brawl that just finished its second season, um, you see me on Tournament of Champions, Guys Grocery Games. I'm doing Beat Bobby Flay, the um, the holiday specials this year. Um, those come out in December. Um, you know, I judge Alex versus America, Supermarket Stakeout, the new show Battle of the Decades. My daughter and I judged a couple of those episodes oh, wow. as well. But yeah, I'm kind of all over the Food Network family world. That is really great. And, you know, this is the California Now podcast. So let's talk about California. And we can start with L.A. Many consider L.A., you know, a top food destination in the country and in the world. Um, Do you agree? I would like to just say thank you for finally saying that L.A. is one of the top food (laughs) destinations in the country. Because unless you came from sort of the Bay Area, everyone in L.A. was like, oh, they don't eat there. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I was like... (laughs) You know, from a young child, like waving the SOS, like, no, we eat everything here. I think, you know, Michelin coming out and rating a lot of the restaurants, you know, a couple of years back was a nice thing to do. Um, you know, Los Angeles, I think, distinctly has set a tone for the rest of the country, which has been like amazing. Like you look at what, you know, John and Vinny did at Animal, and I was so sad when it closed this year. But, you know, it was this idea of taking food from all over, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And not to say like street food, because Susan Feniger has been doing that forever, right? But taking food from kind of like all over and just making it accessible, right? And making it like we can go down and like drink beer and like, or have a martini while we eat, you know, a, uh, you know, a locomoco, right? That's like essentially what they did. Like we can, we can have a, a menu that encompasses so many different regions and cultures while still celebrating the seasons with produce because that's so California. And I think that's what California does really, really well. So, you know, in your opinion, what are one or two restaurants in LA that people don't know enough about, but they really should? One of my favorite restaurants that I think that I'm just like shocked that there hasn't been like a James Beard or something like, and everyone knows it on the West side, right? It's Hatchet Hall. Um, Have you, have you ever been there? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Oh my God. Hatchet Hall is in Culver city. Okay. Okay. And it's been here for, I don't know, probably close to like eight or nine years. And it is by far, like, I think one of the best restaurants in Los Angeles. And again, it's like in an area where it's, you know, kind of, 
harder to get to, right? It's in between like Venice and, you know, whatever's on the other side of Culver City. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But um, it is for us on the West side, one of our, like my most favorites, one of my most, most favorites. Um, You know, they do this like very specific, like cornbread. That's amazing. Their cocktail program's incredible. The dining room is like this very sort of old, vintagey like cups and plates and you know mismatched silverware Mm. um you know the menu's always changing it's got this like little southern flair to it that you'll see every so often you know with like a fried quail or you know you know some grits or you know some collard greens um but then also like super celebrates the seas you know the seasonality of california um you know moves into like smoked fish and things like that um you know they do peel and eat shrimp a beautiful pork chop i just think it's like one of the greatest restaurants that i just ne- i don't i just never understand why there isn't enough hype behind it what about for italian i mean what's your go to spot other than you know your own place <sighs> that's a hard one right yeah. that's a hard one because i do tend to keep it either with nancy silverton or evan funky I do like Evan and I worked together at Spago for so many years. And so like his background and technique is so good that like the, 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 the execution of all of his pasta dishes are just like my most favorite. Like I'm obsessed with funky. I'm obsessed with mother wolf. I always have been, you know, if I just want like pizza and pasta, I'm like, I'm going to Moza all day long. It's like, you know, one of my, my most favorite places. Um, have you been to South End in Venice? No, I haven't. Uh, so South End, uh, it's owned by this guy named Mario. Um, small little pizza place, literally in a strip mall across the street from Scopa. Mm. Um, it's so good. Like, it's so, so, so good. And he just does, like, five or six, like, different Neapolitan-style pizzas, which are so, so, so good. What's your favorite pizza there? Um, he does this burrata with uh, like a pesto. And so it's literally just tomato sauce. And then it just has scoops of burrata in it that he throws back into the oven for just a second. That also comes a close second with his like soprasad because which is basically just like a super fancy like pepperoni. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just going like classic cheese, I'm like, all I want is that melted burrata with like mm. a little bit of this like, you know, basil oil that goes over the top. of it. It's so simple, but it, the crust is just so good. Mm, that sounds really great. And then beyond LA, you have, uh, do you have any favorite food destinations in California, kind of outside of the LA greater area, you know? You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of um, Claudette Zepeda in San Diego. So if you head down there, like what she's doing over at Vaga, like I, I think is like so incredible. She does this like mixture of so many different types of cuisine. Most, you know, she's Mexican heritage. And so she like plays in that sandbox. But Mm -hmm. she like we just did it. We just did a dinner together and we did this basically like this Mexican Italian dinner where she basically made like a tres leches cannoli. And so Mm. she like she's super deep rooted in Mexican food. But it's so like it's just it's she just does such a good job. And also like, well, and I'm bringing it back to L.A. But like I think what Stephanie does over at Cabra is so, so, so good. Um, you know, which is, you know, kind of similar to like what we do at Dama, but, you know, she brings in sort of this global, you know, she uses a lot of like Asian influence. Um, I love Bestia in LA. I love, um, also what Ori does over at Bavel. Like I love the sort of, uh, progressive Israeli that he does over there. Like, oh, it's so good. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, right, right. You know, Antonio, it's been so lovely talking to you, but before we wrap things up, 
There's one more fun activity we'd like to do with our guests, and uh, it's called the California Questionnaire. You mentioned Claudette and Stephanie earlier. Both of them have actually done it. And so we were wondering, are, are, would you like to give it a shot? Sure, let's do it. All right, cool. So basically, we're going to ask you, we're going to go through a list of questions, rapid fire style, to give listeners a good sense of what you love about the Golden State. And um, okay. let's, let's give it a go. All right, so let's start with where do you live and why there? Uh, Venice, California, because I need to be as close as I can to the beach. What's your greatest California love? Um, my greatest California love would uh, probably be hiking. What's the biggest misperception about Californians? That we're always tan. <laughs> um, what's the what's the stereotype that most holds true? Uh, that everyone is gluten intolerant. <laughs> what's your favorite <laughs> Golden State splurge? Ooh, um, I would probably have to say like Santa Barbara prawns. Mm, okay, let's say it's time for a road trip. Where are you going? Ooh, I'm going like Northern California. You know, I was recently just up at Ruth Lake, like the, the, the Eureka, like mountain area. I know it sounds crazy, but that whole area is like gorgeous. Mm, okay. If you could decree an official state culinary experience, what would it be? I would probably say like, um, I don't know, like eating on the beach, eating outdoors. Mm -hmm. Okay. And here's a new one we've recently added. What's your favorite way to play in California? Oh, pickleball. Mm, okay. <laughs> and where <laughs> that's good. Well, you're all it's all the rage now, right? So you're right on oh, target. It's the fastest growing sport in America. All right, exactly. Okay. And where would you go for the ultimate shopping spree? <laughs> it's to, to quote my favorite movie ever, Rodeo Drive Baby. <laughs> <laughs> From Pretty Woman. Uh-huh. Okay. What about Best California Song? Um, Best California Song would be California Dreamin', of course. Okay. And why that one? Um, it was in that movie with Bette Midler. I don't know if you ever saw it. I know this is like the craziest thing. I love Bette Midler more than anything on the planet. <laughs> and it was like this, this, I, like her daughter went to live in California or something and she sang the song and it was like a whole thing. So I don't know. Oh, just, I like, think I remember that movie. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Wait, was it, was it called Stella? Yes, Stella. Okay. okay. So good. It's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Are you, are you game for maybe singing a, a bar or two? Absolutely not. You do not want to hear me sing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> California Dreaming on such a winner's day. That's all you get. <laughs> That's great. No, it's wonderful. Okay. How would your California Dream Day unfold? Oh, um, I actually have them often. Um, my California Dream Day would unfold. Um, I would, I mean, I ha it's like it's like my day in Venice, right? Like I would get up probably hike over by the Palisades, um, come back down, make breakfast, like in my yard in Venice, um, you know, take a walk over to the beach, um, spend the day at the beach, maybe watch the sunset and then finish in Venice, which is like, you know, the street tacos that open at six o'clock every single night would be like mm. the ultimate day for me. Wow. That sounds amazing. Antonia, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Absolutely. You can sample Chef Antonia Lofaso's food at Scopa Italian Roots, Black Market Liquor Bar, and Dama, and catch her on the Food Network. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, 
visit california.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Whether you're planning your next vacation or hoping to enjoy the California spirit from home, be sure to check out Visit California's official YouTube channel. There, you'll discover exciting cultural adventures, natural wonders, and endless ways to play in the Golden State. It's all at youtube.com slash visit California. That's youtube.com slash visit California. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope to see you in the Golden State soon.